What if God called you to leave your comfortable home, your comfortable life, at your comfortable job, um, living your American dream comfortable life, and to go to a particular people group and share the gospel with them? Would you obey? Do you think that you would be able to do something like that? Could you really give it all up? Could you really lay it on the line? For Jesus if that's what he was calling you to do it's something I ask myself uh, plenty of times and um, but today I'm gonna be interviewing a good friend of mine his name is uh, Tom Bilderback he's a pastor in New Orleans at uh, the Bucheray Baptist Church there on Dauphine Street which is right next to Bourbon Street and he was my youth pastor at one point uh, here in my hometown where I still live and uh, he gave up that job, sold his house, and moved down there after Hurricane Katrina to minister to the homeless population there. And he shares his incredible journey of that and a lot of uh, powerful testimonies of people that he met there who came to know the Lord and to do ministry, ministry there as well. And I think you'll really enjoy this episode. It's a special episode for me. I really enjoyed it and I uh, got to hear a lot of Tom's story. And I think you'll be inspired by it. If you want to hear the bonus section, be sure to head on over to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash believe and become a supporter of the show and you'll get uh, uh, the bonus segment and there's much more over there as well. You can follow the link in the description. If you if you enjoy the show, be sure to su- subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your um, podcast from. Um, Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. In today's modern scientific era, how could you possibly still believe in God? And and the resurrection, people do not rise from the dead. And don't even start to tell me that you think the Bible is God's word. If you've ever heard questions like these or if you've ever had doubts about your faith, this has helped me believe where each week we aim to answer a tough question about Christianity. Our aim is to strengthen the believer and answer the critic. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. Today's another special episode. I will be interviewing my good friend, Pastor Tom Bilderbach. What's up, Tommy boy? It's all good in the hood, man. <laughs> How you doing? Doing well. Doing yeah. well. Down like here in New Orleans where it's 70 degrees, you know. So I'm, Is it I'm really 70? Yeah. Man, it's freezing up here, back home. <laughs> back here in well, the borough. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's you know, we 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 get like five days of freezing weather in New Orleans. So Well, I, it's freezing here, but I don't have a big scruffy warm beard like you got going on over there. Well, like I tell everybody, Hayden, it's just a lack of shaving. <laughs> I got the stash going on. I don't know if you can see from that oh, far. Yeah. It doesn't stand it, out that great. It's it's nice. It's coming in nice. Well, if I could grow a beard like that I probably would too. Well, just get well, old, Hayden. Yeah, okay. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, I haven't had any of my friends on yet. Of course, I consider all my interviewees friends, but I'm saying like a personal friend. So I hope you think of me as a friend, Tom, do you? I do. Okay. We've got a good. long history together. we got a long history. Hopefully, we're only going to talk about a little bit of it. <laughs> okay, so we're not going there, I see. Okay. okay. But, obviously... Um, most of the audience isn't going to know who you are unless they're from around here as well. So why don't you give us a, a brief introduction as to who is Tom Bilderbag? Sure. Hey, my name's Tom, and uh, I pastor a small church in New Orleans, Louisiana. I did grow up in Texas. Um, I moved to New Orleans when I was about 40, uh, 
and have been here ever since. And I'm going to be 49 in January. So about eight years I've been uh, been pastoring this church. And uh, I have a wife of 29 years and a daughter that's 27 and a couple of grandkids. Well, thank you for the introduction. Are you really 49? I will be in January. And you are getting old. Yeah. Well, there's only two options. Remember what I told you. Back in the- <laughs> You either get old or you get dead. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're just old. So uh, Tom was actually my youth pastor, um, bless his soul, whenever he uh, lived back here where I'm from. And then, like he said, he moved to uh, New Orleans. But before we get to the move, before we get to New, to New Orleans, what was it like being a youth pastor here in suburban Texas? Um, I mean, it was great. It was, it was, a, good, it was a good job. I mean, I, I'm still in shock that people paid me to talk to teenagers about Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it didn't come without its challenges, you know. But all in all, uh, it was it was a good, it was a great job and a great season. So I uh, enjoyed it. Well, a lot a lot of people uh, remember you kind of the way I do, which was Tom really cared about kids and he really wanted to teach them Jesus, but. I mean, you care for all kids, but it seemed like you always had like a special place in your heart for the kid that didn't really fit in. I mean, we had like we're up here in uh, suburban Texas, and we've got a pastor with holes in his ears, and we've got skate park outside in the parking lot. Like we're we're aimed at uh, not what you might think that we were, we were going to aim at. So I don't know. Like everyone just kind of remembers Tom as the guy that really cared about the outcast, I guess. Thug, and thug pastor. Do what? <laughs> the thug pastor. The thug pastor. The thug life <laughs> pastor, Tom Bilderback. In, in the bedroom conservative town of Whitesboro, Texas. Yeah. Yes. So what what was that all about? What what was that like? Were you specifically trying to, to aim at uh, kind of the left out, the least of these, or... Yeah, you know, I think there, I, I could be wrong, but I think there's something in the story of the Bible that might lean toward that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, I just wasn't that, like, super popular in school anyway. So, I, you know, I didn't I didn't know how to track, you know, the super jocks and the, all those necessary. So I could relate. I could relate to those guys. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that, that, that I'm not going to lie, that did help, too. And, uh, so, but we did, we had, we had, we clearly, we had jocks, you were there, you were a jock, so. Yeah, I know, how did you put up with me, then? <laughs> That's another podcast for another time. Yeah, yeah, we won't, we won't have time for that. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast, but, uh, we, but anyway, have, we, yeah. we should do a whole episode, and we'll call it, um, False Creek, the Confessions of False Creek. Gee, that needs to be like, rated, what is that, parental rating? I have to put that on like, explicit or something. Yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, clearly there's a, there's, there's a thing in, you know, in, in the, the whole story with Jesus and clearly being like, Hey man, I, I didn't come for the well. Yeah. Um, I came for the sick. And so, uh, to me, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of a launch point for most of the things it seems like that I do in life is, uh, realizing how sick I am. I, I think, you know, I'm better taking the message to folks who are not, not in question about their sickness. Yeah. So, uh, it just seems to be my leaning. So you, you, how long were you here as a youth pastor? I was there six years. Six so years. I, yeah, I was there at another church thirteen years, right. and, and then at then at FBC for six years. Right. Yeah. So at some point along the way, you 
start going on short-term mission trips to New Orleans, or when did this start? So when I when I yeah when I got to the church, um, we didn't have like a missions partner, so we began to pray about one. And in a real strange way, this email address came across my desk to this church in New Orleans. I'd never been to New Orleans. I hadn't really been to Louisiana. Um, and so anyway, I just, I had one of those weird nudges like, Hey, just email this church and see if they ever need help. We knew of Katrina. We hadn't been involved in that. And this was like, you know, a year and a half after Katrina. And I, when I emailed the pastor just sent back and he's like, Katrina, no Katrina, we always need help. Right. And right. so I was like, oh, okay, well maybe this is a thing. And so he called me and he talked to me for five or 10 minutes and he said, you need to come down here. I'm going to mail you a key. And so that's kind of how the whole thing started. I'm going to mail you a key? <laughs> yeah. That must have been one heck of an email you sent for that kind of trust right off the bat. I think, I think everybody had a key I found out when I got down there. Yeah. But you know, I felt special in the moment for sure. Right. And so what were the short-term mission trips? What were, what were those like at the beginning? Uh, so at first, it was just really realizing I had no clue about much culture except the one I'd grown up in. Um, and so, uh, you know, going to the French quarter and being like, you're, you've went to another world almost. And, uh, so it, it was a, it was a very shocking kind of cultural wake up call. And then it started to mess with me when I would come back to Whitesboro, um, because I would end up connecting with people who were, um, in dire situations or it would then it just became that weird thing like somebody saw a homeless man at mcdonald's and so they would call me (laughs) just started like that like it didn't you know one day i was on the way to church and there was a lady who looked pretty homeless at the intersection the only intersection with a red light and she had like a bicycle with a bunch of luggage on it it all spilled out in the street and like i pulled over and was helping her to get it all together and people were like driving by and looking like you know Hey, you're going to be late for church. And, you know, so it just was odd things and happenings that went on after I started going to New Orleans that really started kind of turning that. But anyway, the first mission trip we actually took, most parents came to me and said, Hey, my kid is not going to that city. Um, I'm not okay with you going there. And I'm like, Okay, well, this is a confirmation for sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so anyway, I was like, You know, I really feel like the Lord wants us to go there. So I think the first. The first trip we went, we only had maybe like 10, 15 people went with us. So was is this a youth mission, tri- youth mission trip? Correct, yes. Oh, this okay. is a youth mission trip, yes. Okay. And, uh, okay. and uh, took ahead. some look clearly with me, but yeah, it was youth. So so we just went to help this, this church, which is really a mission mm-hmm. um, that was in the French Quarter, one block from Bourbon Street. Yeah. Um, and so we went to go help them. And it was in a rundown, raggedy old building that was like, you know, going on 300 years old, that the pastor lived an hour away. There was a homeless guy living downstairs who let the the meter maid in and stuff like that. I mean, it was it was uh, it was not your typical church setting. It's not your typical church setting, no. Oh, no, well, I think when I first went there, there was about three homeless dudes living in it in different no. parts of it. But but one guy was there definitely because he let the meter maid in. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so anyway, it was always interesting. We would be you know holed up in the church with with some homeless guys and, uh, and just going out and loving on people and cooking. The first thing I think we did, we like cooked on the sidewalk. We cooked some hamburgers and like ended up with twice as many people as we had hamburgers. So that was a learning experience for yeah. us. Um, 
but anyway, we just continued to partner with them and see how we could help them along. What were some of the ways that uh, y'all were able to help them? Um, so the building was falling apart. Mm -hmm. Um, everything in it had been ignored for 15 or 20 years. So we would paint things or replace appliances or fix plumbing or just anything like to try to keep the building from literally falling down. Um, and then, and like I said, then we would do, uh, we would do outreaches for them. We would just go out in the, we would go out in the, you know, highways and byways around the French quarter and we would meet people and just get to know them. And then we would do some, we would do that for a few days and then we would do like a big feed or something at the church and cook, cook a bunch of food. And we just invite everybody in mm -hmm. and, out. um, and then we found out the first year we went there, we found out that nobody was there for Christmas. And so Sonia and I actually abandoned our kind of American Christmas that year. We were done with it. And so we just started going to New Orleans for Christmas. And when the students found out, a bunch of them wanted to go, which of course made me extremely popular. Right. Uh, and well, so we would- parents, yeah. Yeah, grandparents. So we would spend the week of Christmas in New Orleans and basically we would do the same thing and we would cook a big Christmas dinner. And basically we would spend our Christmas day with people that had no family and had nowhere to be. Yeah. Um, so I think one Christmas we had about 130 people show up for a Christmas dinner. And, uh, so, so that was, that was some of the things that we, that we would do for the church. Yeah. So at, you go on multiple trips down here to New Orleans and you go with the youth group, you go with the church groups. So out of everybody that goes, you somehow end up moving down there. So what was the, what was well, I got a, a multiple questions about this transition phase, but what what was kind of your first hints, first clues that maybe this is what God wants me to do? I, it wasn't even, I don't think, on the radar, but going down there had definitely messed with my gospel and had messed with what I thought walking with Jesus was. I think in my everyday life, it, it really did mess with me. Yeah. I, had, I had a lot of hard discussions with myself and God about that and so is this yeah. is this like a financial type of thing that you're having like you're looking at diff like I'm so well off there these people are well, in yeah, dire need questioning is is have you know is kind of doing my life and you know living pretty comfortably and being a nice guy is that the gospel okay like you know is that really deep down what the gospel is about is being a nice guy who pays my bills and you know, uh, you know, it finds, finds a way to, you know, tip off some of my generosity as that was, which I didn't have a lot, but you know, it was that, was that what, was that what for me looked like really following Jesus and, and going down there in Whitesboro, I was totally okay with that. And, and what, you know, was, that was fine, but going down there, like I said, just continually messed with me just because the people I would meet and the situations I would get in and the and the the brokenness that I would be thrust into that I was not used to being around at all. Um, so that that made me really kind of rethink my gospel. Yeah. Um. Okay. So then, what were kind of the steps of transitioning, like uh, into? I think this, what we're. It wasn't on the radar at all. I started going down there in January of 2007, and in 2000. I started, we started going, you know, taking a couple of a summer trip. Then I, then by then parents and adults in the church had really like got behind it and 
were incredibly helpful. Like they started cooking all the turkeys for Christmas. They'd help me do like clothes drives because they had this kind of like pit in the back of the church where they handed clothes out of mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't a clothes closet yet, right. but it was just a room with piles of clothes. And uh, so we would uh, we would do drives and like maybe a couple of the guys from church we would ride down with a big trailer of clothes. And, and how often were you going down? Uh, toward the end, probably five times a year. Really? I'd, I'd been made, I'd already been going to Mardi Gras for like, uh, two, three years by the time we got, not for the party, by the way. Don't, that's another podcast, Hayden. (laughs) I just don't want anyone to be confused. I've been going, I've already been going to Mardi Gras for however many years. You don't say it. People might like, oh, so he's doing yeah, ministry, he's, drinking. Yeah. There, there are there are people that actually go to Mardi Gras to do uh, to do ministry, and okay. that's that's probably a podcast on its own because it's in that is insanity. It is Christian insanity. But uh, so we would go down because there are forty or fifty ministers who stayed in this church, some of them for thirty years, who do Mardi Gras ministry. So the church becomes like a hospitality hub um, for all these people going out sharing the gospel in different ways, and then just strangers, hundreds of strangers on the street. There's nowhere to go to the bathroom unless you're buying a drink. Yeah. Like, so, so it becomes a, a, a serious hub of all kind of things during Mardi Gras. But So anyway, we were doing Mardi Gras. We were going down a few times a year taking clothes. We were taking a couple of mission trips a year. So we were making several rounds. And so this is how, when you say, you know, how is it that you end up being this guy? The the pastor gets ready to leave, and he realizes that the list of people who are applying for this job is going to be extremely short. Um, how, how come? Well, there's no pay, number one. Okay, so this pastor that was currently there was working there for, for free? Yeah, I mean, you know, there was probably some kind of haphazard compensation. Somebody right. would give love offering or something like that, but there was no paycheck. So he was holding down another job? Yeah, yeah, he okay. worked at he worked at a coffee shop and yeah. he was going to school. Okay. So, and uh, so anyway, there was no there was no pay, there's no benefits, um, and, and there was a falling down building. So it had a lot of high points when you know you looked at what does this job have. So mm-hmm. uh, basically, what he did was he looked around to see who showed up the most, and I just happened to make that list. Yeah. So, <laughs> five five times a year, and you were at the top of the list. I was definitely on the top. Three. So, and, and there was this, like, who's this crazy guy from North Texas? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And uh, so anyway, there was me and a couple from Denton actually, and a guy from Hawaii. And we were all on the, uh, we were all on the hit list. On the short list. Yeah. 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 So, so anyway, he, uh, he hit me up Mardi Gras 2010 and said, Hey, we're, we're going to leave. We're going to move to Alabama and I want you to pray about pastor and, and i said absolutely not uh <laughs> okay why was your why was that your initial reaction uh my flesh was it, okay I, I, so I, selfish I, reasons then built my dream home yeah I which, is, which getting, was a nice home i'm getting paid to hang out with teenagers and talk about jesus and and make plenty good money so those are two reasons i said no immediately um you know the third reason was i had no i, I grew up in the country yeah. I don't want to live in a big, dirty city. No, that would probably, like, okay, money, everything you said, home, money, all that would be a big thing on my flesh list. But the biggest one would be just living in the city, man. <laughs> We're too used to it out here. It's so quiet. It's I can drive and not get, like, no one's going to be in my way. Yeah. 
you don't have to dodge bullets or any of that kind of stuff. So well, yeah, unless you yeah. go way out in the country where you're from, then you gotta dodge bullets. <laughs> That's a different one. That's a yeah. different kind of stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, so those are the reasons why I immediately said no, and I didn't. It wasn't on my radar. And so the first year he said pray about it, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna pray about it. All right. So yeah, I didn't pray about it. I just I didn't. I was like that. That guy's, that guy's a lunatic for many reasons. Number one, asking me to be a pastor. Number two, asking me to move to New Orleans. So mm. I was like, no, mission trips are good. I'll see you on the next mission trip. So um, that's that he, that's that kind of wanting to keep it at arm's length thing. Like oh, you, yeah. it's not that you didn't want to help. Yeah, it was. But just, I just wanted to help from where I was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a, that's kind of an important distinction. I think. I think uh, a lot of us feel that way about a lot of different things. Yeah. Sure. And hey, I'm not saying every, I mean, I'm not definitely not encouraging everyone to do what I did. Um, in the end, I mean, you'll, you'll clearly see this was the Lord. The Lord already had this all worked out. He was just waiting on my dumb self to catch on. So yeah. uh, anyway, a year went past, another Mardi Gras, same thing. And that time he was like, no, I'm serious, man. We're leaving. They're not going to have anybody here. I want you to pray about it. So is he not? Okay. So that's a year. That's a year later and so is he he's not left yet is he not left yet because he's waiting for someone yes. to fill his spot there's no i mean there's if you leave then the place just shuts in okay like so he's nobody. so he's waiting for someone to say i'll to commit to filling his shoes before he leaves okay. yes so i mean eventually he set a date and was like we got to go by this date if there's yeah. nobody here then that's it's, it's done yeah. yeah it's and, uh, and it was closed when he came to it. It's been there since 1964. But after the storm, there was nobody there. The guy that was there checked out on many levels and wasn't there anymore. And so it was closed up whenever this guy came to it. Hmm. Uh, so, but, uh, but anyway, so we, 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 uh, we, we prayed through that summer and a lot of crazy things happened. And we came to, um, August after summer and, uh, and we decided, we decided that there was something to this that God was definitely leading us in that direction. And so, we uh, confirmed with like some wisdom elders that we knew about it. And then the day, uh, the day before we made the decision, basically that night, I, I had had all these arguments with God about why we shouldn't go and how stupid it was and why it was a bad idea and why it was not going to work. And then. Uh, we pr- we prayed and I just said, God, just we need to either we need clarity, either end this or make it clear. Either way, I'm gonna I'll, I'll do it, whichever. I just I'm tired of mm-hmm. I'm tired of wrestling with you. I'm like Jacob, I'm done. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, the next morning before about ten o'clock, the pastor of that church called and he said, uh, "Strange thing happened this morning. Both the other people pulled their names from even being considered this morning before mm-hmm. you." Come. So there's no other name now but you. Yeah, it's either you or it's closing. <laughs> so uh, I guess you could say I took that as my confirmation. Yeah, so. okay. So uh, how, how, did your wife, how did your wife feel about all this? So the beautiful part was by spring that year, she was pretty much, she was like, I think God is probably calling us there. Yeah, well, yeah. that's really cool because, yeah. Clearly, when you're married, that's a thing. I mean, you you you've got to be, you know, you got to be in one accord on those mm-hmm. kind of. So she was she was actually kind of nudging me, saying, 
because I'm the analytical, you know, think it through, write it all down. Does it make sense? Right, right, right. And it wasn't. So she had already just decided, hey, God's got us. Let's just move and let, it'll it'll work itself out. Yeah. So, and then she's the one that was going to have to abandon her, her dream house, really, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but she'd already come to grips with that. Yeah. So, and was your daughter already out of high school at this point? Yes, she was. Okay. She was living so did, in North Carolina. Oh, okay. I was going to say, did she have to go to New Orleans or she if, if that would have played a role? Or... She left She left North Carolina because when the pastor and his wife left, they were also the worship team. Hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> the pastor played drums, his wife played piano, and they sang. And so they, when they left, the preaching and the worship went out the door. So yeah. my daughter was kind enough to come down and stay with us for like six months till we could kind of get our feet under us and find some musicians and then she went back to North Carolina okay so you move down there what is it like when you get there um so well like I said you know uh this is this is kind of what we got so no check we can't pay you to move you can live upstairs now remember I still got a homeless guy living in the building (laughs) downstairs downstairs which is a whole nother story but he's there and it's okay i know him and and it's all cool but uh so that was my offer on the table was no pay we cannot pay you to move uh clearly no insurance benefits 401k enough you know it's like move upstairs no manual to how this thing works he had already actually left and the association had a young guy just preaching on sunday right so he was gone so i walked in Hit the ground running. How many not people? To, uh, there was probably about. So it's a weird thing. So I would say we don't really have members technically, right. since we're not technically a church. But I would say we had about eight or ten, maybe maybe eight like solid people. Yeah. And 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 then there you know there was like a handful of come and go folks. Mm-hmm. So probably probably fifteen or twenty. Yeah like that so okay so when you leave here your home isn't sold or anything like that yet no okay so you i mean and you're not walking into a salary no and neither is your wife no how'd you get there <laughs> how'd you get there <laughs> how'd i get there or yeah get... i'm just saying like i don't know if i could just I pack up ask... and go with nothing yeah uh, that's but that's literally what you did though that was just whatever's I mean, in your what... bank account whatever's in your pockets and go Yep. And so, and the church was super kind. Like they did a money tree for us and sent us off with a blessing, just plastic or whatever. And we did have, you know, some money in the savings, but we still had a house payment, right? You know, and all these yeah, things. Yeah. And we did your bills don't go away. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Put our house up for sale. Um, but like I said, it didn't sell for quite some time. So, um, anyway, I, yeah. So I get there and I'm, I'm first time pastoring a church yeah. and, not a standard this is church. A, this is a good place to start. <laughs> I kind of feel like it was almost like I started at last stop shop. Like this seems like the place that they should put guys right before they get rid of them. You know, that's what yeah. it feels like. So, but uh, so anyway, I start. That's where I started at. So, um, but anyway, so yeah, I get there and I, you know, the first the first few days seems okay, but then I'm like, all right, God, this is only this train's only going to go for so long. Like this 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 blessing tree money's not gonna not gonna go far. Yeah. Uh, we only had like one giver given like two hundred and fifty dollars guaranteed, and that was it. I mean, that was all we had. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
within a week, uh, a guy knocks on the door and uh, cause I still have no income within about a week, week and maybe a week and a half, a guy knocks on the door one day and he says, Hey, uh, I heard you're a mechanic. And I'm like, who'd you hear that from? And he's like, I heard it from one of your church members. I'm like, well, I haven't worked as a mechanic in like six years and I don't have any tools. And he's like, well, I need a maintenance man. I said, I mean, I've never worked as one. He said, so can you do this, this, and this? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm from the country, man. I can do that. <laughs> I'm from the country, uh, man. We fix everything, man. So, uh, you know, oh, my we, gosh. We don't call anybody. We do everything ourselves. So anyway, yeah. he said, I said, yeah, I can do that. And he said, okay, we'll show up at this address uh, on Monday and tell me how much you want an hour and how many hours you want to work. And I'm like, this is bizarre. Yeah. So anyway, I, I figure out a schedule, what I can work and pastor the church. And I think I wrote down 12 bucks an hour and I'm like, I'm hope I'm not asking too much yeah. and uh, it's way more than I'm making right now. And, uh, so I go to this address and I look up and I'm standing in front of the tropical Isle bar. Now oh. the tropical Isle is iconic on bourbon street. They serve this drink called the hand grenade, which is in many rap songs and such as that. So, uh, uh. I'm and this, 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 this is where you're a, showing up for work. Correct. Okay. I didn't know it. I did not know that's where right. I was going. I just went to an address. So he just so gave you an address. Okay. I knock on the door and this guy comes to the door and I'm like, uh, so Southern Baptist Tom shows up at. Yeah. Tropical Tropical Island. Island. So okay. I, show up, I show up there and the guy who gave me the paper is like, Hey, I, I mean, you're here. And I said, yeah. I said, uh, I said, Hey man, did you know that I'm the pastor over there? He said, yeah. Did you not know this was a bar? <laughs> Nope. And uh, he said, well, what do you think about it? And I'm like, man, like I need a word right now, Lord. And quickly, I can't call nobody or nothing. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I just like, I just immediately, like I had a piece about it. And I was like, man, I'm, yeah, I, I'll take the job. So anyway, I took the job as the maintenance man at Tropical Isle. So I'm working inside seven bars on Bourbon Street. Seven? Um, yeah, they have like seven bars. Oh, okay, so this owner owns more than just this one? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's multiple locations of this thing, and they have other bars with different names owned by them. Yeah. So maintenance man in all all these bars, and a restaurant they own. So welcome to New Orleans. Welcome to New Orleans, right in the right in the nitty gritty of Bourbon Street. Like you you've never seen anything till you've seen drain water in Bourbon Street inside of bars. I'm gonna tell you, it doesn't get any nastier than that. so I'll take your so, yeah, for I'm working, it. I'm working inside. I'm working inside in the inside the bars behind the you know behind the curtains, everything behind the bars, you know, working on stuff. And uh, no one there knows that I'm except the guy that hired me knows that I'm the pastor. Yeah. So I'll just think I'm a guy who's working maintenance. And so it makes for some super interesting situations. Yeah. Um, I get to hear a lot of things about Christians. Um, none good. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, so. And, uh, but man, put us in some amazing opportunities to love people who aren't like us in yeah. very extravagant ways. Can you, um, can you think of an example that you're okay sharing? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So there was a girl named Eve that worked at one of the bars. Um, and Eve hated Christians. Yeah. Um, she had a lot of bad experiences in front of the bar with Christians with signs, screaming all kinds of things at her and telling her that she was, God hated her and that she was worthless and she was a whore and all these kind of things. Um, and so anyway, when she, uh, she, she was, she struggled with alcoholism and depression mm-hmm. and suicidal thoughts. And so we would just have, I would be working and we would get to have conversations and I would just encourage her. And one day I brought up, uh, I just 
talked to her about how much God loved her. And she's like, are you a Christian? Are you a hypocristian? <laughs> a hypocristian. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, let's just, just let me, let me be who I am. And then you make, you make the call on that. Yeah. Like I'm not going to say. And, uh, so anyway, I, I, then I told her, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I pastor this church over here and, um, you know, this is where I'm at. And, uh, so for a long time she wouldn't step by or stop by or anything. And we, uh, we decided we, we, we got her, uh, we got her like a pedicure and some flowers and, mm. and got her a gift card to a place and just, just kind of showered her with some affection and love. And, and she was, she was very hurt. She'd been through some terrible things in her life. And, uh, and one day she, we got phone numbers anyway, one day she called me and she was, um, she'd been through some terrible stuff with a relationship and she was, uh, she was about to take her life. And so I convinced her to come outside and we took her over to the church and, and just got to love her on her and pray for her in a while. First time she'd ever stepped foot in a church. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so anyway, from that, um, from that experience and all that went on with Eve, it just led from one experience to another at the bar. And what that did was it gave me a DNA for who we were to be as a, as a church body because mm -hmm. I didn't have one, but that, that job gave me a living DNA of who we were going to be as, as we went on and what, how we were going to be Christ in our neighborhood. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, numerous stories that you could probably tell like that then from the bar. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. one quick cool one is the day I went to work there. Yeah. I come out and the guy that hires me sitting on the, I come back to the church, me and Sonia are going to walk to Jackson square, which is the, the epicenter of the French quarter. Mm. We walk on the guy that hires me sitting on the steps. He said, Hey, come here. So I go over there and he said, Hey, why, why are you here? Mm -hmm. I was like, you really want to know? And he said, yeah. And so from the get go, on the job, day one, I get to share, I get to share the love of God with this guy who hires me, yeah. Ray, who later on will end up coming to the church on Sundays to check things out. And at 54 years old, a guy from California, on an Easter, he'd never heard the resurrection story, and he gets up and interrupts my amazing sermon and says, uh, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. I never heard this <laughs> <laughs> right in the middle of the service man you're killing me i'm yeah. like no we're finished we're that's good enough for easter out there i'm pretty sure we're done i think that's how it works yeah ray, ray became a believer and then i got to disciple ray and we would pray in the bar when things went wrong and and uh so yeah it was cool that is cool so okay so you get down there you start working at a bar preaching on sundays and so what were uh, some um, some things you tried to do to interact with the community, to try to share the gospel, to try to show God's love? Um, I know kind of uh, your approach right now because I've been down there and I visited and, and done some of the ministries. But did so right now you do kind of like a shower Friday. You work mm -hmm. with some different partners to try to uh, get people off the streets and back into. Uh, working and things like that, but with, were there any failed things that you tried, or or what was kind of? Yeah, I mean, and and not I don't think so much in the in the in the avenues where we tried to meet people, but there was just plenty of stories that didn't turn out like 
these great success stories. Yeah. Like, yeah, they they were tragic and ended horribly. And yeah, we're, we're not, you know, we're we're not just hard on the person, but we're hard on us. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're we're places to learn a lot of wisdom and and be in a mess with someone and get get and, and even wrestle with your own mess while doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there was, there was, we moved a guy in who had probably multiple mental health diagnoses who in the end, this lady was going to my church. who was a psychologist told me that he, she, he, that he had had the most severe case of split personalities that she'd ever seen in her life. Mm-hmm. This dude was living with me and he was like, it was like Jekyll and Hyde. He was one guy during the day and another guy at night. We didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, thank God nothing ever like happened to any of us, but it most definitely could have. We, we definitely were, I mean, God had his hand on us during that. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Well then I guess just take us kind of through, uh, what the, what your, your kind of those ministries are that you, you, you do now. So So, so something we realized real quick was hey, Christians are not coming down to where I'm at to go to church. Like, we don't have a parking lot. We don't have any programs. If you come there and you're there more than one one Sunday, you're going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so so it's not it's not a it's not a glorious place to 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 come and worship for the most part. Yeah. Um, and and like I said, it's just a it's not a family neighborhood or anything else. Is, and is, so, is there other churches anywhere close? There are only three churches in the French Quarter, and it's a square mile. So there's one other evangelical church down the street from me that is Bucare uh, Assembly of God, okay. and then there's then there's the, the the big Catholic church in Jackson Square. Okay. That's it. Okay. That's it. Um, so, and there's about four thousand people that live in the French Quarter ish. That number changes all the time. So in a square mile. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, and there's lots of there's lots of places that don't have anyone living in them because they're condos and stuff as well. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so what we we decided was if we were going to grow as a body of people, we were not going to be able to do it in the conventional way of you know sending out flyers or you know even knocking on doors or stuff because our neighborhood is highly um, for the most folks that have houses. We have a few neighbors who are believers who who come and are part of our our place, um, but. All in all, it is it's like millionaires and homeless people, um, and so I have one millionaire maybe that comes to church, yeah, <laughs> and he's a cool dude. Um, but for the rest of folks, they're they're not looking for a spiritual community of that kind. Um, so we uh, we decided the only way that we were going to see people come into a community of Christ and do that was we were going to have to meet them where they were and walk with them until they saw the love and the value and the beauty of knowing that. And so, uh, the only way, the only resources we had in the way we could do it is we could open doors, like you said, and we, we make this place called shower Friday where basically we offer a place for someone that hasn't had a shower or a hot meal or clean socks or underwear or shirt, you know, um, to come in and get those things. And, uh, so we, we just took that and try to do it the very best that we can. Like we don't serve slop. It's not a, it's not a chow line. Like yeah. you get, to, we hang out for an hour and a half with everybody that comes in. Um, it's about building relationships. Um, we usually run about. We have about seventy folks that pass through every Friday. Yeah. Um, now you it it became pretty popular. You had to you had to you have to turn people away. You you have tickets, yeah. right? 
yeah, we had to start doing tickets because it got it, the crowds got so big we couldn't build relationships because it was just so crazy. So, um, so we we're number one we're so close to ground zero for all the craziness that's going on. People don't have to get far away from their hustle or their addiction or whatever to get to us. Yeah. So yeah. that's one reason we're popular. Another reason is is because we serve home cooked food, um, and and we the main thing and it's like this is like the kudo for us is that. Uh, we, we get, we get told by strangers that, you know, we've, we treat people like they're humans. Yeah. Like we, we know your name, we acknowledge you, you know, we're the the whole, we are really hustling you with food, showers and clothes for one reason. We want to get to know you and what's going on with you and where and how we can become Christ to you in that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we are, we're, we're unabashed about that. Yeah. Every Friday, I tell people, "Hey, this is why we're doing what we're doing." No. So, so every Friday, they, you know, seventy people or so come in and they get food, not just food, but home cooked food. And so, where does the food come from, actually? So early on, we all had to cook um, everything. We cooked everything and then ran Shower Friday, which is an emotional, physical, psychological, spiritual, like marathon. How a so? Friday, a Friday. And it will, a Friday will suck the life out of you. Well, one, one thing, I have to show up at about 6 o'clock, 6.30. I have to hand out tickets at, at 7 up at Armstrong Park. So you go to the uh, – why that park? Well, we had so many people outside our doors. It looked like the pool of Bethesda. And <laughs> my millionaire neighbors are not exactly happy. And they don't understand what I do in the end with people. Like the whole idea is like we – we're, we're there to help people transition to another place in life. But there's a, there's a period where people aren't there yet. Yeah. And all they see is people laying on cardboard and stretched out drunk or whatever in front yeah. of my place. So we had to move, we had to move giving the tickets to another location and tell them, Hey, do not show up at my door till like 1030 when we open the door. Yeah. Well, Keep- I don't know how much they obey that because the one time or, or one time I came down there, and uh, we showed we showed up on Friday morning, and there's somebody sleeping outside already. Yeah, well, you know, you do can, <laughs> and it's just gonna happen sometimes. Yeah, so. but uh, so anyway, you go to a park, and uh, there's and that, there's and that, seventy people there to hand tickets out to. Some mornings, this last Friday there was. Yeah. 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 So, um, so anyway, we hand out all the tickets, then we go back, and then it's hustling to get the clothes closet prepped and ready, all the shelves filled. Get the bathrooms ready. Get the tables set. Get all the silverware and plates, cups, and ready. And get the you know get the tea made or water or whatever. And then uh, you know sometimes we'll have special lanyard given by people you know for for folks coming in. We'll have to get all those things ready and prepped. And and uh, so yeah, it just it takes a team of people just to get it all ready. It's 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 come a long way from when we first kind of haphazardly did it. So. Yeah. So, what are some of the success stories from Shower Friday? What are I mean? What are some of the connections, or you know, when everything goes exactly how you wanted it to, what happens at from from a Shower Friday? So, I mean, it, it's 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 long. This yeah. is not a quick. This is not a quick thing. This is a mm-hmm. long thing. And so, um, I, I mean, I'll just think of one Shower Friday thing for sure. Not long ago, a guy named Tim who is a professed Satanist who comes who comes to Shower Friday. Um, very regular, um, and and loves us as people loves us. He uh, he he had gone through some pretty terrifying things in his life, and 
when he came that Friday, he was ready to take his life because there's no reason to live clearly. Um, and so we, uh, he actually asked me, he's like, man, can, can we go somewhere and talk? Like, and so just got to go with him and share what Christ had done in my life and how that had made a difference for me and having hope and, you know, actually let me pray with him, you know, and, and we didn't have, I mean, it wasn't like we had an aha moment and he, you know, surrendered his life to the Lord or whatever, but he, he has ears to hear, like he listens to, you know, to things and he'll have discussions about, about those kind of things. And so it's, like I said, it's, it's a, it's a journey, but it just takes time to build those kind of, those kind of relationships with people. And, uh, but yeah, far, I was thinking of a few stories that would, had come full circle from Shy Friday. So there was a lady in the square named Denise who was a tarot card reader and she was addicted to crack and she was selling crack and <clears throat> her life had just dwindled down till there was nothing left of it. And it was, it was just a wreck. And one Friday she cried out and said, you know, I, can you do anything? And I was like, Hey, Denise, we'll go as far as you go. We'll, 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 we'll go in as deep as you go to, to, to change life. And, uh, of course, so we, we shared that we had some resources we could connect her to. I'd made partners with a lot of places around the country with long-term transformation programs, um, detoxes, all kinds of different tools for different people. And I just said, would you trust me? And she said, yeah, I'll, I'll trust you. And so again, clearly I, I shared, I shared the good news, uh, about God loving her and wanting a relationship with her and how that was key to life changing, but that she was also going to have to do a lot of hard work. And so she, actually went to a partner of ours in Arkansas and was there in a program for a year. Now, I didn't think because this woman was so wrapped up in tarot and, and voodoo and all this other, you know, stuff, I didn't think there, I just thought there's no way that she's going to, she'll ditch, you know. Um, but she finished, she finished the program with flying, flying colors, um, just has a complete different identity. She actually then turned around and, and became a worker there at the place. Um, so I called she would answer the phone. Yeah. And, uh, so she's graduated from that. She's still in Arkan in Little Rock and she's got her own place now and a job and, and it's part of a church. And, and, you know, so that's, that's one of those, you know, ones you want to post up for everybody to see, you know, clearly. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's one, um, a couple that we met <clears throat> on Shower Friday with a little dog, um, Dean and Connie, um, were strung out on heroin. And so we always, we always invite everybody from Friday to Sunday. Like we tell everybody, hey, this is why we do what we do. We've got some people that are attempting to follow this guy, Jesus. They meet on Sunday at 10 o'clock. You're welcome to come whether you follow Jesus or not. Um, and so they came and they came and just kind of broke down during service and said, hey, we're strung out on heroin and we're spending every dime we have. And, you know, we're we're dying. And so we were like, OK, well, let's let's see what we can do. So, uh, so anyway, we decided that they were, they were living in a house that was full of heroin addicts and dealers. They were renting a room there with their, uh, she was on disability with basically the drug dealer showed up every month and took the disability check because they had already financed that much heroin mm. every month. Um, so they would beg for food. And so anyway, we went over and decided that they couldn't, they could no longer live in that house and try to get away from what was going on. And uh, so I went to go move them out, and we were going to put them up uh, until we could get them into a program. We were going to put them in a cheap hotel for a couple of days. So the day I went to go move them out, um, I was in the apartment with them, boxing up a little bit of their junk. And there's a knock at the door, and I'm like, 
who's that? And they're like, it's either one of two people. Mm. It's either somebody looking for drugs or it's a drug dealer. And I'm like, so Sonia and my wife's out in the car waiting on me. She's already seen this person come down the alley to yeah. where the door is. And she's trying to blow up my phone. And so I open the door and it's the drug dealer. And so <clears throat> it's my first interaction with a drug dealer that's close up. It's just a little odd, or at least knowing that I'm with one. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, Dean's like, hey, man, this is, a, this is our pastor. And so the dude literally pulls his shirt up to show me uh, that he doesn't have his gun in his pants right now, um, which, you know, I felt better about that at that moment. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so there was a guy in the alley in a wheelchair with a needle stuck in his thigh. Like, it was a pretty, it was a pretty dicey situation that yeah. we were move, moving him out of. Um, but anyway, we got him there, and they, they detoxed off of heroin in the hotel. It was terrible. Oh. But we didn't realize that was that's not even the beginning. Like yeah. once you come off the chemical, then the emotional and the physical and all, and, and it was a rough several weeks with them in and out of different places and they get getting sick. And I mean, the good news is today that Dean is a welder, has a great job. They live in Homa. They're doing amazing. They're part of a church. Um, but there again, like I said, they don't all in like that. No. So yeah, yeah that's incredible. Uh, so you're kind of pretty well known as Tom, the homeless pastor. Uh, worse, yeah. So probably people turn to you for, for advice about this sort of thing all the time. But what advice would you give someone who wants to effectively help or witness to the homeless in their community? Well, hey, I mean, I think witnessing is kind of a no-brainer. It's just like anybody else. Yeah. They're human beings, you yeah. know. That, that that doesn't change homeless or not homeless. But the other thing is, like, I think the biggest thing is if you're going to, if you have a heart and you're called to work for pe- with people who are in those situations, you, you, you need to get to know all the resources around you well. Mm-hmm. Like, become very well vested with the resources that are around you. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times there are people already doing things that you need um, and doing them well. And a lot of times you can just be the connector and whatever the go between between that person and wherever it's at, you know. Um, but there's an element of having to just spend time with people to find out what they really want. And I love, that, I love that, I love that Jesus has this moment with the blind guy where you know the blind guy's calling out, "Oh, son of David," you know, yeah. And Jesus is like, "What do you want?" I mean, that's really what he says. Yeah. What do you want? What and the guy taller and you know so, you know have mercy on me i want to see you and and sometimes you just have to spend time with someone and you have to hear all kinds of stories and such go through situations and then you just really have to get down to like hey what is it you really want mm-hmm. because people you know people in all kinds of situations will will come up with stories about things that's not really what they want yeah. um so it's spending, it's it's investing and spending time in people, and sometimes to no fruitful end. You just you find out that they they didn't really want what they said. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a question that probably people have is, and I would wonder too is, how do you? I guess you probably can't. I mean, you can can you help someone that doesn't really want to change or doesn't really? Oh, no, I mean, clearly no. You 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 just love they, them and. If they don't go as far as you go, they're not ready. Yeah. That's a good thing I learned from my old psychologist friend is if 
if a person that you're attempting to help won't meet you halfway, that they're not going to ever, they're not ever going to be able to use the help you're giving them. Mm-hmm. So you just, so you yeah. just, okay, so you, you have shower Fridays, so anybody yep. can come, anybody, Any- anybody can come to that, whether they, they want to change or not. And then you talk to everybody and say, we have this available. Like, uh, you know, if you do want to change. Yeah. And then. You know, resources were connected with people. And yeah. people have come to know that by now. And then we'll have people get up and share their story. You know, people who come through that will come back and share their story at Shower okay, Friday. Okay, so you so you have a time for testimonials at Shower Friday? If they're, yeah. if, I mean, it's like an every Friday thing. But yeah. we, have our, we have our biggest testimonial right inside the clothes closet. So there's a lady in the clothes closet named Mama Rose, and she was drunk out of her mind for about 30 years in Jackson Square. She yeah. shot a guy, went to Angola. Uh, she's rough. She's rough and tumble, man. Yeah. And she came. She came to trust Jesus, and uh, she uh, quit. She was doing. She was drinking two liters of vodka a day, and stopped drinking cold turkey, bro. Cold turkey. Cold turkey. Yeah. Wow. Don't not suggest it. Don't do yeah, that. I was gonna say that. I mean, you talking about those withdrawals earlier with the a heroin addict that would probably have a similar effect. Well, you can die from alcohol withdrawal. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but anyway, just just for her, that's how it worked. Um, anyway, she's a uh, she runs the clothes closet. So, yeah, so you got a testimonial going all the time on repeat. People say, "Hey, I can't change or whatever," and Rose is like, "Don't tell me what you can't do." Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah. So that that so yeah, I have a one all the time, but then we have some coming and going sometimes to do that. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you for coming on and and sharing your story, and uh, getting this information out there. I think it's uh, um, I think it's a, a real effective thing for people to hear these kind of stories, and not just the the winning testimonies uh, that you you talked about, but yourself and and that uh, you know normal guy from. North Texas hey, can go and I tell us I tell folks all the time that are there at, at the VU like you you guys have taught me as much about me as yeah. I've ever taught you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. Yeah. So anyway, thanks thanks for having me, bro. Hey guys, don't go anywhere just yet. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button. If or uh, if you're on uh, on the podcast wherever you get your podcast from, become a subscriber there as well and leave us a review. Thanks so much for listening, guys. If you want to watch the bonus segment, click the Patreon link below or go to www.patreon.com forward slash help me believe. Become a supporter of the show. We sure appreciate it, guys. We'll see you next time.